Um, so before I pray, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what was going on in my head um, before I gave this message. So David gave a message a while ago about Job, and um, his message was about hearing God in Job's story, and that happened to me. I heard God in Job's story through what David was sharing. So this message was born out of that, and um, as David read the closing verses in Job's story, the Lord revealed to me something about Revelation. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. So I just want to pray for myself and for us in that. So God, um, I'm praying that you would reveal Revelation to us, um, that you would show us and sort of enlarge in our minds, God, the fruits of Revelation, um, how we know when we're hearing from you and how we know when we're hearing from the other guy. God, um, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself to us today in Jesus' name. So um, before I talk to you about Job, my, my thoughts aren't really about Job specifically, but about Job getting revelation. So um, we won't mostly be talking about Job. I'm hoping we'll mostly be talking about Balaam if you can believe that, <laughs> that we will hop from, from one to the other. But I want to talk about the word revelation for just a minute in the language of the Bible. Um, revelation looks forward. It might reveal ways that we've erred, that we've made mistakes, but it is always forward-looking. And um, it's, it's what we want to do next. It's what's coming. It's kind of how we set our hearts for what's coming up. Um, revelation and prophecy aren't terribly different from each other, but they're not the exact same thing. And um, so in the Strong's, prophecy is considered to be speaking by impartation, like being given something to say, where um, revelation is kind of deeper than that. Revelation includes the words laying bare, making naked, a disclosure of truth or instruction. I can kind of read this without my glasses, which is, I made the font big enough, yay. Um, concerning things that were unknown before, um, used of events by which things or states people didn't see before, but now they see. Okay, um, that real definition, I had to rewrite it because it used the word hitherto. And um, I don't know what hitherto means exactly. And um, it also has to do with manifestation and appearances. So we've talked about revelation a lot um, here. And we've actually talked about um, David's revelation of the house of prayer, how he sort of skipped forward into something that wasn't really his until, until God gave it to him. Um, so we've talked about that a lot. It, um, revelation comes from apocalypto, to understand, to lay open what has been veiled or covered up. Um, so this is, revelation is something we didn't know before, but God revealed it to us, okay? And if we could talk about Job for a minute, um, we'll talk about I want to talk about where he started um, so that we can get to where he ended up. So if you remember, the story of Job starts out, and I'm not going to reread the whole beginning, but um, I will say from Job 1, verse 4, and his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. They'd invite their sisters, and then the feasting ran its course, and then Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly. Um, Job was a little afraid that his sons might have sinned. And so he was doing this um, because he was afraid. Now, we're going to see that God helps him get to the point through everything where he's going. We're going to see that Job gets to a revelation of something completely different than that. Now, we have to remember, Job wasn't perfect. He was called righteous and blameless by the Lord, though. That's not perfect. And I think a lot of us in this room, including myself, struggle 
with that difference because we really want to be righteous and blameless before the Lord, and we think that means we've got to be perfect, and it doesn't. God calls people righteous and blameless a lot in the Bible who were not perfect, who were not perfect. We, can, we, we just read the Bible, and that's all that pours out, okay? Um, so this is important to get to, but let, let's get back to Job for a second. So Job, in Job 42, verse 3, he says, You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. This is Job talking to the Lord. And then he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. When Job saw what the Lord saw, he was sorry that he was who he was. But he didn't, he didn't stop. He didn't live there in that place. He lived into what God did, and God gave him blessing of his latter days more than his former days because Job was upright and blameless but willing to be changed because he heard the Lord. And this is what it resulted in for Job. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second um, Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuch something like that. I look at Jen for all of these because I know that she'll um, support me in my falling down on these names. <laughs> and in the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. So when Job, when God revealed himself to Job, Job saw the beauty of his daughters. Before, he was only talking about his sons. This is a revelation. The Lord told it to me while I was sitting there that Job saw something. When revelation was poured out on Job, he saw something that no one saw before, that no one dealt in before. And it's going to take all of life until the millennial reign for us to get the full revelation of this, for us to see this manifest in the earth. So this isn't a, actually a message about women in the church, but what I am saying is God revealed something to Job that really mattered. There's no wasted word in the word. There is a reason why Job was all about his sons in the beginning and why he saw his daughters and then handed them that inheritance with the sons. Our whole church life is coming to reconcile this, right? And we, we hear about this in Joel 2. When Joel 2 talks about blowing the trumpet in Zion, consecrating the fast, gathering the people, he says, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests weep between the, church, the porch and the altar. And then hopping down to verse 28 in Joel 2, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So Job was seeing something that was prophesied in Joel that was picked up again in Acts, right? That exact same part is picked up again in Acts. And it's about men and women doing this together. But, but we're still getting there. So I, I want to talk, I want to show you that because this is the essence of Revelation. Revelation is a process that we're getting into. And I think that there could be whole whole messages given. It just wasn't the one God gave me today about we can see where women in the church, you know, they're not always able to come with their husbands. There's enmity that goes on, but this was coming from the beginning, right? In um, Genesis 3, it says, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't write down the verse here, but you'll be able to find it if you're looking for it. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrows and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We're living in that fall still. But Revelation says we can live beyond that. And we're, we're going somewhere beyond that. And so if we want to ask the Lord, we can live through that into what Job saw, into those daughters getting those inheritances right along with the sons. And instead of struggling for that, we can believe that God said it's what would happen and not spend all of our time worrying and blaming other people for how that's not happening and just let it happen through God, through us, okay? So um, we're waiting for this to be brought full circle by the Lord. And if we have confidence that it will be, then we can enter the rest of that. Then we can come, come in exactly where we are, exactly what's going on in our lives and get revelation ourselves. Hear what God's saying to us and live into it. Um, and David said something, the first David kind. <laughs> now, I'll go back and forth between the Davids maybe a couple times here. But um, David kind said something the first day that we were starting the 10 days. He said, um, we don't want, or maybe it might have been the night before, we don't want God to have to wait because we won't. God is going to have patience grow in the earth. And if we're not willing to be patient and wait for things, God will be patient and, and he will let those things grow. So um, we've talked a lot really about David's vision of the tabernacle being revelation. So I don't want to rebuild that whole structure again. But I want to remind you how much peace David got from doing things God's way. David was able to actually really commit some pretty heinous sins before the Lord and come right back to him, walking out of shame, walking out of condemnation and into the heart of the Lord. And this revelation of night and day prayer allowed David to be one of the most prolific writers on the topic of rest and waiting for the Lord that there is. So I'm glad that this comes up in the middle of the 10 days when this is, this is what we're doing. So I just want to remind you again, the house of prayer did not bring David to perfection. It brought him to revelation. It brought him to being called the man after God's own heart, not because of his perfection, because of his desire, because of the revelation kept him steady of what God was saying to him. And so I would just ask you to be thinking about what is it that God's revealed to you that he's asking you to just stay steady in. And when you fall off the side of it, that he's just asking you to come back to that thing that you know he said to you. And, and for a lot of us, that's night and day prayer, right? So, um, I think I'm not going to read um, Psalm 46. We've been reading, actually, in the prayer room a lot of the Psalms on resting and waiting. So, um, I'll come back to it at the end if I have a chance to. But um, I think if we all think about David, we can really think that David really felt his rest in the Lord. I'll, I'll actually read a little part of this. This is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High, God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. God helps just in time, exactly when we need him. And so we can afford to wait. We can afford to be patient. And um, I think we, I saw something really beautiful with this um, Tuesday morning at our prayer set um, that happens at 11 o'clock. 
I was actually feeling a little um, nervous and stressed about the prayer set, and um, I came in and just gave God what I had, talked to him about it, and Mary came up with a revelation about love and prophecy, and it sparked something. It, it set something off in the whole room. And as we began to pray, then Barbara came up with, with something toward the end that was equally like, whoa, you know, that we could all use. And what happened at the end of that set was the set stopped and we're standing in a little clump talking and we're, we're all talking so fast and everybody's trying to say their thing and Abigail's got something she wants to say and Alia doesn't, Mary doesn't. Barbara does, and it was like, I told Jen, I said it was so awesome. I felt like a conductor a little bit because it was like everybody wanted to say something and I could see, so I'm just trying to decide, God, like, who do I look at right now because I want to hear everyone. It was just popping, you know, and we were, we were all just feeling something. That's revelation. It's a promise, and it's those little moments that we have to keep going back to and keep remembering because not every moment in the prayer room feels like that. But you know what it is? It's all building to those moments. And if we can remember those things that our friends said in those moments, we can remember that God is doing something, that he is accomplishing something. And we don't have to be afraid we don't have to be impatient because he is just going to work that love that Mary was talking about. He is just going to work that in her. And that's what she saw is that he has to. He has to. And what she saw is that she can't be prophetic without that love. She can't be prophetic apart from it. And that, I needed that. I needed that in that moment. And when Barbara released something about the armor, like we all needed her to have that revelation so that we could. Um, so um, we could see revelation happens a lot in scripture and, and leads to something new. So we all remember, because we talk about it a lot, the story of Jehoshaphat. Remember, God revealed to him that music was going to defeat these armies. And it wasn't even like, the revelation that music was going to do it. It was just the revelation to do the music. And God would do the thing, right? And that's actually, that's resonating with us today, right? That revelation is still resonating. It's still like feeding through us. When Paul received revelation, he actually got taught directly by the Lord. And that led to some interesting things. So, he went to, um, Paul, this, I'm going to go into Galatians, but I just want to set you up a minute here. So Paul was taught for three years by the Lord, and then he went to the Gentiles, and then after 14 years, he went and talked, um, went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. We're going to pick that up in Galatians 2. After 14 years, Galatians 2, 1, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of, repu of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So he went to talk to the apostles about what he was doing. And then later in the chapter, we can see this in verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So what the revelation that, um, that Paul got first while he was talking with just the Lord... And then while he was um, spending time with the Gentiles, had to do with circumcision, and he noticed Peter acting out of that. Peter didn't have all this revelation yet, but Paul had to call out Peter. He had to call it out because he saw it. 
This happens sometimes in Revelation. You get revelation of a thing, and it isn't just for you. It's meant to come out at the microphone, and that word is going to judge other people's hearts. Now, do, did Paul have to keep going on this with Peter? Not so much, because Peter heard the Holy Spirit. And so Peter was able to get revelation further of this, right? Do you remember the whole story? He got further revelation of this with the eating and the dividing and the censor, you know, and all that. There, God expanded that to him. So once we receive the revelation and we get it, it might be that our friends' hearts are cut by that, but we have to just let that be with patience too, right? We have to give the revelation, and then it's not our job to make that revelation come about in everyone. And I, I tell you this because I'm guilty of it, and God has been schooling me on this, okay? So... I think I won't read all of that, but Re Revelation does include correction. This is only because we see dimly. Like, we shouldn't feel too bad when God reveals something to us. Um, although, like Job, we want to be cut to the heart. Do, do you know the difference between being cut to the heart and then wallowing in something that turns it into shame and condemnation? I, I know you know the difference in the feeling in your own heart. And this is what, what we've got to get to because revelation is popping up more and more, especially in this place. I think, um, you know, that's what I'm hoping anybody who's here, that's what I'm hoping we'll talk about tonight is what have you seen? What have you heard? Because I didn't hear it all or see it all, but, but we all have parts of it. And then we can grow in love and patience waiting for it together. And we can pray for it to be formed in our own hearts, right? Um, I'm super defensive. You guys know this about me already. Um, so revelation can be hard for me. Um, Jen shared something about putting shame on our kids. And um, then she prayed, um, planting seeds of shame reaps pride. And that cut right? Because I've done this. I've done this to my kids. And um, I could sit and be like, I've done this to my kids. I'm so stupid. I never know. Or I could say, Lord, I'm sorry. Can you change me? Can you change me? And he can and he will, right? And I think even my kids would say, I'll start down that a little bit but I'll still throw them the occasional text. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm trying, which no one knows I'm trying. <laughs> All right, so um, I, I just want to remind us, I actually um, shared this, I, I don't know if it was in the last message I gave or, or the message before that, but um, I just think this is a really good time to, to recenter ourselves on the topic of correction. This is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Who's him? Jesus. Consider Jesus. When you're thinking about what you're going through, when you're thinking about what's hard for you to hear, what's hard for you to endure, Jesus says, consider Jesus. Consider me. Okay? Okay. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Has anybody been cut, bruised, and bleeding in this room because somebody went after them for their faith? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, oh, well, Tim has. So we need to get some wisdom from Tim, too. And then it says, you have not... Um, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons because we're his kids. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He scourges every son. You know about scourging? That's harsh, right? 
That's how you know you're his kid. He lets that happen because he loves us. And so you're going to get cut in this place. That's so good. What a good and faithful God. I get cut in this place because of his goodness, because of his mercy toward me, right? I don't want to go do it. When I go do it, it's actually wrong, right? I've had to, I think I repented of it last week. I'm hoping to not have to repent of it again. But sometimes I get mad and I start trying to do the scourging because I want to make something happen. But that's not the heart of God. Who makes something happen? God. God makes something happen. So I need to be patient. And I need to say the thing that he's saying. Sometimes my words are going to do that, right? They're going to cut. But that shouldn't be because I tried to cut with my words. It should be because I said something the Lord told me to say, and he let it cut. And usually that's because we were willing to take off our armor, Barbara, right? We were willing to take it off and say, I don't need all this armor on me. I can hear what my friends are saying and go into it. I'm over the phrase lean in, so I'm trying not to say it. But um, So if you endure chastening, Hebrews 12, verse 7, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you are without chasing, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Okay? That's just facts right there. You're not a son if you're not being chastened. Okay? Um, now, no chasing. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We need to be trained and learn for the fruits of peace and righteousness to occur. It's a process. So I need to be patient as I go through the process, and I need to be patient as you go through the process. So what are the fruits of revelation? Um, Sometimes at the end of the message, a few of us are talking and we're like, what's the title of this message? What would you call this message? And that's always fun because we're thinking of different things people picked up. But I gave this message a title and it is the fruits of revelation. And so um, the fruits of, the revelation, of revelation are no different from the fruits of the spirit. If you're getting revelation and giving revelation, you should be saying words that are growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If your revelation is impatient, it isn't the Lord. That doesn't mean that he didn't tell you the thing. It might mean that you're just walking it out in your flesh because that happens a hundred times a day. God tells you a little kiss and you are like, all right, I'm running with that. And then your flesh just starts turning it into a whole nother thing, right? You don't want to do that. Revelation pleases God. It flows naturally from wholehearted love. When we love someone, we want to please them. But if we truly understood love, the idea that love can only flow from God, it is a fruit of his spirit, we would walk right out of trying to please anyone but God and find that pleasing God naturally outflows into meeting the needs of the people around us. I just want to back up on that for a minute because I felt God saying it to me really strongly. If we are trying to figure out, if I'm just trying to figure out how to please Tom, I will never hit the mark because Tom is a moving target. Why? Because he's growing in the Lord or, or failing in the, I mean, whatever he's doing, growing or dying, something is happening in Tom. I can't hit the mark of pleasing Tom, but I will be able to give Tom exactly what he needs if I am pleasing God. 
right? And so trying to please our kids, trying to get our kids to do this, trying to get our friends to do something, trying to make sure our friends don't get upset with us, trying to make sure we're doing the right thing at church, we can't ever do that because this church, this church is changing and growing. What we thought was the prayer room when we first got here is completely different than how we know it now. And I hope in 10 years, it's completely different than it is today. We can't be trying to please the prayer room. We have to be trying to please the Lord. How do we please the Lord? I'm going to tell you. Because good news, he told us. He told us. Um, you can check me on these. If you want these lists of passages, I'll give them to you later um, because I wrote down all the references. But I just want to hit on these just because I think we all know they're really in there. Um, but if you, if you weren't trusting me on one, definitely ask me about it later. What pleases God? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible. What pleases God? Seeking his glory, not our own. He tests our hearts. What pleases God? Seeking his approval, just wanting it, wanting him to be pleased by us. That pleases him. Departing from evil because of the fear of the Lord, being in the spirit and not in our flesh, being transformed, discerning his will, keeping his commandments, doing good, sharing sacrifices, bearing reproach. Walking by faith, not by sight, being confident, well-pleased to be with him, desiring to please him, praying for our words and our thoughts, our meditations to be pleasing to him, doing nothing of ourselves, but only what we see the Father doing. Whatever we do, work heartily for God, not for man, but whatever we do. Obey God. Fear God, hope in his love. These all have a theme that I noticed that sometimes when I, I'm listing them all so it might be hard to catch the theme, but they all have to do with hearing him and obeying him, okay? So there's no program that we can write. There's no rules that we can follow except to look to God and desire to do what he says. He does not say it pleases me when you get it perfect. He said it pleases me when you ask me and try. Over and over we've talked about, and I've given messages about it, about the prophetic, about hearing God. And over and over it's just our reach. It's our desire to hear him. When someone prophesies, they, they, it'd be good, right, to get it perfect. But if we accept the fact that we all see dimly, we won't be so worried about the perfection of the word, but of the perfection of God being formed in us, of the perfection of growing in love, joy, peace, those things. And so I hope, as you know me, as you walk me, watch me walk through this life, what you see is that I'm actually letting go of some of the trappings of control, of some of the things that I used to try to do for everyone, and letting God do some of those things, letting God sort of answer some of those things. And I see these things in you guys who are growing. Sometimes you can see me growing more afraid, it, growing more, um, I'll just say that, growing more afraid. If you do, you love me, you tell me, right? So what pleases him, revelation pleases him, and then us responding to revelation, okay? Oh, I had a bunch of other things that please God, but I think, I think we're getting the gist. Um, it's all about discerning what pleases him. But there is a pitfall and a counterfeit to revelation that's uh, called doubt. 
we say, did God really say? Jen brought this up last week. She said um, that we should be reasoning with God and not with each other. And I just thought that was really good revelation that she was talking about how in Acts there was a group of people who were reasoning with each other and there are another group who are reasoning with God. And you get the fruit, you get the results when you're reasoning with God, when you're, when you're talking and hearing from what he has to say. Revelation gives us answers to questions we didn't know. We didn't know the answer or we didn't even know to have the question. Sometimes revelation just, we didn't even know to ask. And someone else will bring it up or he'll just pop it on us in a moment in someone's sermon. He'll just say, look at what Job saw. Look at what he saw. So um, we have to approach revelation in the fear of the Lord, though, because sometimes God will tell us what we want to hear because we've kept asking him. And, and that's kind of what I'm going to focus on for the last few minutes here, and then um, hopefully we'll bring it back around. So um, here's a couple examples of this. And um, I'm doing the chronological Bible right now. Barbara, are you doing it too? Yeah, I feel like she and I are in the same passages a lot, and it just occurred to me, oh, we might be on the same reading plan. Um, I'm loving it because right now, guess what's happening in the chronological Bible? If you started in January, the temple's being built um, by Solomon right now, and here, here we sit. So um, pretty excited about that. But I just read this, and um, 1 Samuel 24.1 says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. For second Samuel, oh, I put the same passage in. The, the king's version, that was bad. The king's version of it says that Satan moved in order to make David take the census. It's the same passage, it's the same thing, but one says the Lord moved and one said Satan moved. So who moved? Well, Satan had to go before the Lord and ask to move a thing, the Lord let it move, so it moves, same as Job. So it's First Chronicles 21.1 is the, is the mirror image of that. Um, this to say to you, you can be, and we saw this today, Steph, that was so great. We saw this today. So Steph was lying here, she's soaking in the atmosphere of holiness, the atmosphere of the Lord, and she saw something and thought, oh no, this is from the Lord. But it wasn't. And she got up here and said, that wasn't him, because this was for me. She got up and she spoke gospel to herself and freed a bunch of us who might be doing the same thing at other times in our lives, because our thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So we can think something in our head and completely believe it's him, and it isn't him, right? So I got more about that. So let's look at it more in the Bible. Um, the, the clear, I think a really clear um, example of this is the story of Balaam. I'm going to go over the story of Balaam with you, but... Um, Tom gave a really good video on Balaam that hit sort of a, a different angle. He hit the, Balaam, um, the story of Balaam is in Numbers, Numbers 22. And why I bring it up is because it's not some obscure little story in Numbers 22 and 23, and it actually spills into 24. It is a story that is talked about in the Bible as a cautionary tale multiple times. So I want to talk to you about the cautions in the Bible for Balaam, but Tom gave a really good video that if you didn't watch it on Balaam is worth going back to see because what he talked about is one of the seven churches, um, a church in Pergamos, is um, really reprimanded for following Balaam's doctrine and so Tom develops that idea a little more. That's, that's not exactly what I'm here to talk about. So good one to watch, though, because um, God is really talking about Balaam right now. 
Um, one of the clearest examples, it's okay, I said those things. It's mentioned in Jude, in Joshua, in Micah, and in Revelation regarding the church of Pergamos. Um, 2 Peter 2, 15 and 16. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of righteousness, was, but was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Jude 10. But these people slander whatever they do not understand, and they are destroyed by, by those things like that. Like irrational animals, they know by instinct. Woe to them, for they go the way of Cain and abandon themselves to Balaam's error for the sake of gain and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are blots on your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, feeding themselves, they are waterless clouds, Carrying along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead and uprooted. What people is Jude talking about? People among you in the church. Jude 4. For certain intruders have stolen in among you, people who long ago were designated for this condemnation as ungodly, who pervert the grace of our God into debauchery and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the people. There's some church people who will fall into the error of Balaam. The error of Balaam all goes back to impatience and wanting the... Like Balaam wanted fame and money, and I think we'll see that clearly, but what you need to think about while you're listening to this, what I need to think about is what do I want, okay? It might be, a lot of us, I think, can say, I don't, I don't want fame, I don't want a microphone, I don't want, but um, the truth is there's a lot of ways we do want a microphone, and just because you're afraid to come touch it doesn't mean you don't love it. It doesn't mean you don't. There's a lot of us who want to be standing on a stage t talking to a lot of people who would never admit that's the case. Look, God put it inside of our heart. We desire to be seen and heard. It's where is that happening that we're not getting it met by God. It's not the desire that's wrong. It's just where we pointed it. And in the church, we are very guilty of pointing it at the person we think can give it to us, when the only person who can give it to us is the Lord. So, um, yeah, so it's connected, Balaam is connected to selfishness and impatience. So um, if you think, you know, again, if you think money and, and whatever it is, those things aren't driving you, that's okay, they might not be, but there is something that drives you, some desire that you have. And wives, it might be for your husband. It might be that you want him so badly to do something different than what he's doing. Don't be driven by that. Don't be driven by it. All right, so I'm going to go to the text of... Um, I printed it, so it was big. Um, if you turn in your Bible to Numbers 22, uh, Numbers 22, I'm going um, to hop you through the story because there's a lot of repetition in the story that, that um, is it part of, part of what I'm saying to keep repeating it. So Balaam is right before this in Numbers 21. I just want to tell you that... Um, Numbers 21 is where the bronze snake had to get set up because of all the Israelite whiners, right? I mean, God just got mad at Israel big time and started letting snakes kill them because they were big whiners and complainers. But God had a destiny for Israel that he would not be moved from because I'll go back to Job, I'll go back to David. Israel was not perfect, they were chosen to be God's people, right? You don't have to be perfect. 
You are chosen today. You are chosen. You just have to say, change me. That's, that message has been getting through in the prayer room over and over. So, Numbers 22. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that all, all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So the Amorites, people are getting defeated as Israel moves forward. Um, Balak is um, the big guy in Moab. He's the guy. And he sees this, and Moab is filled with dread because they can see the Israelites coming, okay? Um, dropping down to verse 6, um, he wants, Balak wants Balaam to come put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Um, Balaam wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't um, in the company of God's chosen people, but he did hear God. He was known to hear God and known that what he said um, happened. The people he blessed were blessed and, and whatever. So the Balak sends his elders to Balaam to say, hey, could you curse these people for me? And that's really going to help me. And um, God comes, Balaam's like, let me, let me see what God says. And God comes to Balaam. God went to him before he asked him, uh, yeah, we should pay attention when God drops in on us to say, who are these men with you? And we say this over and over and we know it. God doesn't ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. He wants you thinking about who are these guys? And Balaam's like, yeah, they came to me. They want me to um, put a curse on them. And God says, verse 12, this is clear. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Two parts. Do not go with them. Do not put a curse on them. They are blessed. Okay? So Balaam goes, tells them that. They go back to their guy, Balak, and Balak is like, go again. But now let's bring the really big guys and let's tell them about the money and invite, let's see again. Balak sent more officials, verse 15, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. He sent the more important people. And then he said, because, verse 17, because I will reward you handsomely, and I'll do whatever you say. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want someone to do whatever we say? He was hitting Balaam's notes. So Balaam's like, um, you know, even if you gave me all the gold, I couldn't do beyond the Lord, but let me just check with them again. Let me check with them again. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night, God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you to go with them, go with them, but do only what I will tell you. He let Balaam have what he wanted. He gave him what he wanted. So he got up in the morning. He got on his donkey, and it says, verse 22, we're not, we're not unclear was God mad he was going? Yeah, he's mad he's going. But God was very angry when he went. God was very angry. How? how you know this now. You can hear the voice of God telling you to do something that is what you wanted to do and not what he wanted you to do. That should fill us with the fear of the Lord because our brains lie to us. Our soul lies to us. We can think, I want them to do this. I want them to do this. So, yes, I should say something. I should say something. I should say something. Or, God told you to say something. Well, I shouldn't say something. I shouldn't say anything. I just shouldn't say anything. It, it happens both ways. There's no formula for if you should keep quiet or if you should talk except what pleases God. What did he say to you? If you don't know what he said to you, if he hasn't said something to you yet, you wait. 
You wait, yeah, you wait. It's not, it's not hard, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard on the flesh. So um, the donkey and Balaam are, are going along, and there's an angel of the Lord standing in the road, and who can see it? The donkey can see it, but not the man. The angel of the, the, the guy who could hear God couldn't see the angel of the Lord because he'd been deceived and deluded. So he's beaten that donkey because things keep happening. The donkey keeps doing dumb donkey stuff. And so he starts beating the donkey, right? And what does the donkey do? The Lord opened, verse 28, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam said, you made a fool of me. This, this always happens. You're always pointing the finger at someone else when you look like a fool because you don't want to be the one that made you look like a fool. And I'm talking about me. I don't want to be the one who made myself look like a fool, but it is so much easier. We won't have to have a dumb, you know what, talk to us, tell us what to do if we would just listen to the Lord. But let's go a little further. Balaam talks back to the donkey. He's going to kill him with a sword. And Balaam, uh, the donkey says this to Balaam, verse 30. Am I not your own donkey? which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? That donkey says, I've been a good donkey to you. Why are you turning on me now? I've only loved you. I've only taken care of you. I never tried to hurt you. Why would I now? Friends, when delusion comes, and it will, the first thing we are going to try to dismantle is the house of prayer. And the first places that we are going to try to dismantle are the people that told us the truth. It's hard when people tell you the truth. It's hard. We got to change. But what, you, what we have to do in order to stay out of delusion is say, is this thing the person's telling me? Is it true? Is there an angel right in front of me? Now, I'm not suggesting to you that people don't change and that people don't start rolling off a hill. And I'm saying, when someone has given us only revelation and love and we start to believe that that's not true, we've got to go back and look, what has been their character? What has been their character? Now, we might find out that character's been bad. I don't know if you guys have seen, but there's a whole video out about a church right now whose pastor admitted to infidelity, and then it turns out that the, the details were way worse than what he even admitted to. And there were some people in the church who knew, but most of the congregation did not know. That, it's our, our leaders are not infallible. It's just we've got to go back to the character and we've got to talk to God. We've got to ask God what he sees. And God set the angel and then he made the donkey talk. So we can be pretty clear in this situation. But we've got to remember character and fruit. That's why your revelation, that's why it matters how you hold it. If I get revelation and then I start beating people with it, I've, I've lost it, right? We, we've, it's all the sides that we have to consider. We have to consider how do we carry it? And then we have to consider what is my friend saying to me? And what is their character to me? What do I know about them? Sometimes someone will come share a, a bit of revelation with you and you have to consider What's going on in their whole lives? It's like someone giving you revelation of how to raise their kid and their kid has, is only problems. It's, it's all the problems. You're like, oh, maybe not, not God's source for me right now, right? It, it, the character matters. Our character matters. So this is verse 32. The angel of the Lord asked him, 
Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. He was going to spare the donkey and kill Balaam. So this is a sobering thought about revelation, I think. And God wants us to be thinking about it because he brings this up over and over. Our thoughts can lie to us. And we can want something so bad that we can actually make it happen. And God will let us. He will let us. And so we've been hearing last night, we had some good praying going on about, about just being peaceful and letting God, oh, Tom uh, Moorsman talked about um, rain coming down and flooding because Angie faithfully brought up something she'd seen about God and he said, I'm Lord of the flood, right? And he wants to come fill. We all have these cracks in us. We have these cracks in our souls that need filling. We want something, but usually we don't even know our own hearts because we think we want someone else to do, say, or change. And all God wants is us. All he wants is our hearts. And that other person, like I said, they're a moving target because they're growing or dying themselves. But if we come back to the center and look straight at God and say to him, what do you want? What are you saying? And stop telling him over and over and over what we want, especially related to the changing of other people. We can open ourselves up to revelation that pleases him. We can open ourselves up to make a change that it, it's like this, and this is the last thing I'll say. The things that we want to have happen so bad, um, our kids to come know the Lord, our, our, to have a um, aligned marriage with our spouses, to um, feel heard, to feel up. These things that we want, they all happen most incredibly God's way. They all happen by us dying so that that seed can grow that he planted, that he put in. It's, it's the only way it happens. And so the things, it, it's amazing to me that by me not feeling like I have to be here every second doing everything of these 10 days, it's amazing to me how I can just come in and participate with all of the revelation that's flowing out. Everything that I want in the 10 days happens by me letting go of the 10 days. That's just my example. You all have one. So that's what I want to leave you with is we're going to pray and just ask the Lord, what are your little stumbling blocks like Balaam, that fame, that money, that recognition, that send you back to the Lord trying to get a different answer than the one he already gave you? Or what things are you talking to the Lord about over and over again? And he's saying, I'm over here talking about this whole other thing. If you just let me change you instead of worrying about what's happening to everybody else. So Lord, um, I ask you, I, I just want to thank you, God, for revelation. I want to thank you that you want to talk to us, that you have given us, that you set your son to die on a cross so that we could hear you. God, I'm asking that we wouldn't get into the pitfalls of revelation by telling you all the time what we want. God, I'm asking that we would see what you want to give us, 
that we would reach for what pleases you. Lord, I'm asking that I would grow in the fruits of the Spirit, that this congregation would grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus, show us your glory. In Jesus' name.